Well, Bert, our own little place at last. Yes, we was lucky to get a new house on the estate. But it only seems like yesterday when we first put our names down for one. These 14 years have passed very quickly, though. <laughs> oh, don't you just love this room? Yes, very tasteful. Nice dark brown paint and floral decor. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of the three piece, sweet? Lovely, darling. Oh, I can see we're going to be really cosy in here. I can just picture us sitting together on a cold winter's evening in front of a nice roaring... Hello. Here, eh? Yes, sir. You noticed anything wrong? No, what? They forgot the fireplace. <laughs> Don't worry about that. They're delivering it tomorrow. And what's more, Bert, it's a brand new model. Yes, it is, you know, the very latest thing. Is it? Yes. Well, I can hardly wait to see this wonderful new fireplace. That is an excerpt from Great Expectations. <laughs> the last of the books we recommend you to read during the next half hour, and perhaps the most contrived. <laughs> Meanwhile, for those who can't read, here is a sort of radio show which is beyond our kill. Among those taking part are leaf blight expert Ernie Tutt, Millicent Craneworthy, Paran Quinn Albright, scrap merchant, Lady Agnes Amelia Fitzhuntington Sorsburn. Oh, what a handle. <laughs> to continue, Ramgo Lightley, the singing strings of the tennis racket manufacturers, Carlton Scroop, and, of course, Mr. Kenneth Horne, who prefers to remain anonymous. Ladies and gentlemen, Kenneth Horne. Thank you, thank you. And I think you ought to know that our announcer of the series was Douglas Smith. And if you, if you want to know what he looks like, well, you can see his picture on the cover of this week's issue of the, uh, the Police Gazette. <laughs> well, it's nice to know I'm wanted. Thank you, and goodbye, Douglas Smith. Well, yes, here we are, the last program in the present series. <laughs> yes, thank you. Well, I'm not laughing. I've seen the script. <laughs> Actually, I really ought to say something about our two scriptwriters, but I, I'm afraid I'm at a loss for words. How about degenerate? Deplorable. <laughs> Decadent. Revolting, nauseating, pitiable. Repulsive, insufferable, odious, and old. Oh, come now, it's not fair. They're not old. <laughs> well, I feel we should also pay tribute here to the Variety Orchestra. I know I've said some rather unkind things about them, so I'd like to, to make amends now and give them a little present. It's something I know they haven't got. A tuning fork. <laughs> Well, now, a much-neglected member of our team is the sound effects man. Really efficient chap who opens a lot of doors for us. So, so give us thought every time you hear this. Every time you hear this. I can't! It's stuck! <laughs> well, fire a gun, then. <laughs> I forgot to bring it. Oh, never mind. Now, what was I saying? Oh, it's a really efficient... Uh, well, yes. Now, let's turn to our, our musical advisor, Eddie Brayton, who... Not only has been responsible for some very nice arrangements, also made some very excellent records. The best of which was from here to the pub in ten seconds flat. <laughs> I would also like to... Uh, uh, yes. I, I've got the gun now. 
Oh, good. Well, give it to me, will you? <laughs> well, nobody is indispensable. Well, uh, naturally, when a show like this is on the air, it prompts a lot of letters, so let's examine our correspondence more closely and take a look at the Beyond Our Ken postbag. And the first letter picked at random after six months' intensive research reads... Dear Kenneth Hall, I always listen to your show, and one of the things I really enjoy is your list of names at the beginning. They always give me a good laugh, and honestly, I don't know how you think up such funny names. Yours truly, Mrs. Begonia Gratchily Hopkirk. <laughs> oh. Well, here's another one, all the way from Scotland. Dear Mr. Horton, I'm just writing to say that if the standard of your show does not improve, I won't bother to go next door and listen. <laughs> that's, uh, that's signed Angus McTosser Press. I must introduce him to Begonia Gretchen Hopkirk one day. It'd be rather fun. Now, here's another letter which comes from uh, Mr. Herbert Peasmore. Uh, dear Kenneth Hall, this morning on the way to work, the chain come off my bike, and I come a pearl on the tarmac. At lunchtime, I discovered to my horror that I had inadvertently mislaid my sandwiches. It was cottage cheese day, too. <laughs> In the afternoon, my fountain pen developed a leak and left ink all over my zip-dry braces. Coming home on the bus in the evening, you'll remember that my bus had caught out of commission, a big fat man trod right on my foot, scarring my Italian brogues and bruising my big toe. I'm sitting at home now and have just heard your show. Have you ever had one of those days when nothing seems to go right? And passing on, we come to another letter. Oh, this one's perfumed. Darling, it seems so long since we Yes, yes, well, I, 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 I don't... Uh, I don't quite know... I don't know how that one got in, I'm sure. Let's find another one. Of course, one of your listeners have even sought our advice on their little personal worries. Dear Mr. Horton, I'm a young man on the threshold of life. I've saved up a... <laughs> well, it's worth trying, you know, really. <laughs> Say it again, Bill. Dear Mr. Horn, I'm a young man on the threshold of life. I've saved up a fair sum of money, but I'm not sure whether to get married or open up a garage. What do you suggest? Well, I should open up a garage. You can always back out of that. <laughs> Dear Mr. Horn, I have a problem. I blush very easily. Every time I sit down to think I blush, what should I do? Think about something else. <laughs> Who's next? Dear Mr. Horn, my husband was home very late last night, and when I looked in his car this morning, I found half a bottle of gin and half a bottle of vermouth. What do you make of that? Dry martinis, you say. <laughs> and here's a rather pathetic letter. Dear Mr. Horn, I am 85 years old, and this is my problem. I'm always chasing a girl. And the trouble is, I can't remember why. <laughs> well, 
Well, that brings us to the end of our post bag. And just, just a minute, Ken. There's something I've been trying to find out about Kenneth Williams. What is it? That's what I've been trying to find out. Now <laughs> then, uh, oh, Ken. Yes. We decided to give you something. Something we know you'll appreciate. Oh, it's very kind of you. Well, what is it? Well, it's... it's... Good heavens, it's Pat Lancaster. Hello, Ken. Hello, Pat. Is this true, really? No. The boys were pulling your leg. Oh, no. Hmm. But as this is the last show, I'd like to do my song especially for you. Well, what's it called? Thou swell, thou witty, thou sweet, thou grand, would kiss me pretty, would hold my hand, both mine eyes are cute too, but they do to me. Hear me holler, I choose a sweet lollipop in me. I feel so rich, ah, and for two, two rooms and kitchens, I'm sure would do. Give me just a plot of, not a lot of land. And thou swell, thou witty, thou grand. Ah, for two. Not a lot of land And I swear Now with Thank you very much. By the way, what are you going to do now the show is over? Well, first, I'm going to take a holiday. Uh-huh. I'm going to Ireland. Well, bring me back a stick of shamrock, will you? And watch out for the leprechaun. Oh, Ken, you don't believe in them, do you? Well, I didn't. But then I saw a film called Seamus Tool and the Wee Folk. Shall <laughs> I tell you about it? All right. Well, I'm glad you said that. Well, it's all about the little village of Ballynuston. <laughs> It was a typical Irish village of post office, a general store, and 18 pubs. <laughs> Our story starts in one of What was the tune? Here's an old traditional song called You Can Look in the Heart of a Shamrock, But You Won't Find Flanagan There. <laughs> oh, fucking shame. Stephen Bosch, cheers to the eyes of me potatoes. Sure, and you deserve a pat on the back. Oh, Pat, get off me back. <laughs> now then, Pat, tell us one of your little poems. All right. There was a young woman of Elen. Quite enough of that, Peter. <laughs> sure, he's always coming up with them terrible poems. Well, what do you expect? He's a limerick man. <laughs> Listen, you tell us one of your stories about the little people. Oh, well, wait a minute now. I can't tell you the story on an empty glass. What do you have, Scotch? 
you traitor. Give him a glass of stout. Well, now, if he wants to see the little people, go up to the top of the mountain at night, and when the moon breaks through the clouds, you can see them. Oh, that's all moonshine. It's not, I'm telling you. <laughs> the wee folk live at the bottom of the big well. There they spend their time drinking and talking and laughing and never a stroke of work to don't, do. Don't tell me they've been nationalised. <laughs> Last time I was there, I met the king of the leprechauns himself, King O'Fred. <laughs> what does he look like? Well, what with his red hair, his yellow waistcoat and his green shoes, he looks just like a traffic light. <laughs> And he says to me, shame as he says, tis three wishes I'll be after granting you. My first wish was for Bridget. Oh, little Bridget O'Leary. No, Bridget Bardo. <laughs> and did he grant it? He did that, that he did, he did. <laughs> Twas lovely she looked. I couldn't help wishing I was ten years younger. So bang went my second wish. <laughs> was your third wish? was for the crock of gold. <laughs> and then the king tricked me into a fourth wish. Oh, that means you lose the other three. It does that. You see, I wish for the same all over again. Oh, then it was your own fault. It was. But what can you expect? I'm a Dublin man. <laughs> I don't believe a word of it. It's true, true, it is, it's true. Father, Father, come quickly, something terrible's happened. Well, what is it, Kathleen? It's the Lord of the Manor, Lord Sean Horn of Valley Newton. He's brought in a new man to look after the estate. Father, we've been thrown out of our own home. Oh, don't worry, you pretty little head. I'll talk him out of it. Come, I'll take you home again, Kathleen. <laughs> So there you are, O'Toole, drinking again. Thank you kindly, sir. Drop a whiskey. <laughs> That's the trouble with this village. Everybody drinks too much. Look at the state of this estate. And the manor house is a disgrace. Pigs in the drawing room, chickens in the dining room. What's that in the smoking room? Smoke, sir. Good heavens, it's not on fire? No, sir. That's the room we use for drying peas. He's forever falling in the river, sir. <laughs> Well, it's a wonder he doesn't get drowned. Oh, he'd never do that. Why sir. not? Well, you see, sir, he's a cork man. <laughs> ah, here comes my new man, Cassidy. Well, hi there, folks, and I'm mighty pleased to be making your acquaintance. I calculate as how I'm going to be real happy riding the herd on this little old ranch. And what kind of Irishman is that? <laughs> I thought you said your name was Cassidy. It is. Hop along, Cassidy. <laughs> All right, Cassidy. Now, first thing I want to do is to find the poacher. So I think we're going to have eggs for tea. <laughs> and then, and then you better find the chap who's feeding the cattle. Ooh, you're bothered by wrestlers, eh? What do you know about these old timers? Oh, me? Nothing. Nothing of course. Nothing at all at all. Nothing. Nothing. Are you sure you don't wrestle? No. Only when I wear taffeta. <laughs> All right, now, Cassidy, Cassidy, get started. Get the house cleaned up. I want to live in the manner to which I'm accustomed. But you can't turn us out. What'll we do? Never mind, daughter. Leave it to me. I'll go and have a word with the king of the leprechauns. He'll help us. King of Fred! 
ring of Fred, where I is. Here I am, I am. Oh, there you are. And with all your little people. Yeah, watch your step. I don't want you treading on my leprechaun. <laughs> yeah, I see you bought your fiddle. Come on, give us a tune. Give us a bit of that sham rock and roll. <laughs> all right. But first you must grant me my three wishes and no tricks this time. Well, all right, I won't mess about. Why your wishes? Well, first, I wish I had my old job back. Mm, granted. Secondly, I wish my daughter would marry that lord of the manor. Granted. And my third wish is a wish for all of us. Well, what is it? I wish to goodness we could find a way to end this sketch. Granted. Well, that's it. A, a, a real leprechauny ending, if I may say so. And now, four little people who we've never actually seen, but we do believe in the fine singing and playing of the Fraser Hayes of Four. London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. London Bridge is falling down, my fair lady. London Bridge is falling, 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 falling down. London Bridge is falling, falling, my fair lady. Build it up with loads of bread, loads of bread, loads of bread. Build it up with loads of bread, my fair lady. On this land, says the bells of St. Clement, I'll give you five pounds. Topics of immediate interest. And tonight we present a close-up on the film industry. Is the cinema winning the race to attract young couples? Or is it just neck and neck? 
here is a very famous star of yesteryear. I'm very glad to have you with us, sir. It's a pleasure. Stanley Birkinshaw, isn't it? Uh, that is so, yes. But uh, I was, of course, known on the silver screen as Stanley Birkinshino. The great lover. Uh, yes, that was me. Perhaps you'll remember some of my classic successes. <laughs> Such films as Desert Passion, The Seek of the Sahara, and Seven Deadly Sins. Yes, they're silent pictures. Oh, yes, I'm afraid so. <laughs> when the sound came in, they said I wasn't suitable. Uh, why was that? Well, sir, it's me. It's, it's always been something of a mystery to me. Well, I, I, expect, I expect you made a lot of money in an Irish man. Alas, no, I'm penniless. It's my own silly fault. Oh, you, you, you lost your money, why? Well, I was always splashing it about. <laughs> Finally, let's go over and have a word with somebody outside a famous cinema in the West End. Oh, good evening, sir. Good evening. It's cold, very cold now. It's cold. Very cold. Yes, yes, it is. Very cold, yes, indeed, yes. Very cold. Well, now, would you, would you like to tell us about yourself? Yes, certainly. I've been standing outside the cinema in Leicester Square for something like 35 years. 35 years? Yes, 35. 35. Yes. Good gracious, yes. <laughs> And, uh, tell me, sir, uh, uh, without... Without introducing you in any way, you are... You are the, the, the commissioner? Oh, no, no, I'm just an ordinary picture-goer. I'm not... I, I see. And, and you've been... Uh, <laughs> you've been waiting outside the cinema for 35 years. Yes. Why? Nobody will take me in. <laughs> Terribly sad, that, isn't it? I don't know uh, still one of the still one of the most popular forms of cinema going is the newsreel theatre, where at any time of the day one can see newsreels from all over the world, and how very familiar they have become. This is the Fino Barbitone News. <laughs> Jim Haggerty reporting. A freak storm hit Chicago early Saturday. Big snow brought traffic to a standstill. Mayor Riley said in all his years of administration, the city had never experienced such a blizzard since August last year. <laughs> in Wichita, Kansas, a Mr. Henry Brackenbury has invented this unique flying bedstead. Now, says Mr. Brackenbury, it may not revolutionize flying, but it will certainly revolutionize sleep. <laughs> Let us now turn to the cinemas themselves. All the time, improvements are being made to increase the enjoyment of the patrons. And so we sent Cecil Snaith to investigate at one of the new luxury cinemas. Well, listeners, I'm looking now at the very first film to be shown on the new panoramic screen together with supersonic sound. The film is, in fact, the first to be made in the new process of gigantoscope. 
I wonder what the pitudors themselves think of it. I'll just take the microphone to the stalls and ask for one or two opinions. Uh, excuse me, sir. What do you think of uh, Gigantoscope? Lovely. Uh, now I'm moving down to the two and three. Ah, you, madam. I'm sorry, this seat's taken. Uh, no, no, I, I just wanted to ask what you think of the new film. How can I tell with you standing there naturally? Why don't you go and sit down? Sorry. <laughs> Well, listeners, perhaps I'd better wait until it's over. Ah, there, there's a vacant seat in the front. I'll just sit here and tell you something about the film. Now, where's the ashtray? It never seems to be in front. Ah, here it is. I'd better just press my cigarette out. Oh. 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 And this is Cecil Snake at the organ of the Granville Cooper returning to the studio. makes a film personality. Talent, looks, or perhaps it's that indefinable something that makes everybody sit up and take notice. And wherever there is a film personality, there too will be an ardent fan. Hello, Rodney. Hello, Charles. <laughs> I saw you in your latest film last night. You were superb. <laughs> Thank you. You really liked it. Like I was in France. <laughs> Honestly, Charles, when you came on, the whole lit up. <laughs> Come now, just very small feet. But even so, take it from me, you're the one they'll remember afterwards. Oh, Rodders, how kind you are. Did I, did I really look all right? Yes, and yes, what a striking figure you were. Thank you. I just love the way you hit that gong. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, let us pay tribute to those ever faithful stalwarts of the film world, the regular picture girls, those couples who manage to get such enjoyment from a visit to their local cinema. I'm very, very crazily along. Yes, you finished the sausage roll already? I'm sorry. I'm only halfway through me big strutter. <laughs> There's no more sandwiches left. You have a hard-boiled egg. No, no, oh, Ambrose, well, not be... yet. I'm saving it to have with my banana. Oh, <laughs> I'm ready for me second cup of tea. Where's the no, thermos? No, wait a minute, Ambrose, dear. <laughs> Quiet now. Here's the ice cream girl. Me, me, uh, two bags of popcorn, two packets of salt. I know, I never double ice cream. Here, <laughs> one of crisps. We don't. Look, 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 look over there, Ambrose. Mm. That young couple. Oh, yes. Mm. <laughs> mm. He's seen him cuddling. Oh, dear. Mm. He said he's great. Yes, he did, mm. Ambrose. I sometimes wonder what people come to the cinema for. <laughs> brings us to the end of this series of Beyond Our Canon. Until we meet again, this is Kenneth Hall on behalf of us all saying goodbye for now. Good night. <laughs> you have been listening to all of Just Ben. Yes, just a moment. I thought I fired you earlier on. Yes, but I've got a contract, oh, you know. I see.
As I was saying, you might have just missed or have been listening to Beyond Our Ken, a sort of recorded radio show which gave employment to Kenneth Horne and also to Kenneth Williams, Hugh Paddock, Betty Marsden, Bill Patrie, Patricia Lancaster, the Fraser Hayes Four, and the BBC Variety Orchestra, conducted by Paul Fennelly. The script, believe it or not, was written, and letters of complaint should be sent to Eric Merriman and Barry Took. However, the owners must inevitably fall on our producer, Jake Brown. <laughs>